episode of Blake's Buzz, and this week we've got a hotshot writer by the name of Eric Palicki in the house, and we are going to talk about his new comic that is coming out in trade very soon. It's called Blacksmith. It's from Ahoy. It's very, very good, uh, as are his other comics, which we'll probably talk about. You may have heard about No Angel. You may have heard about Atlantis Wasn't Built for Tourists. If you haven't, you're going to hear about them tonight, and you better get those clicker fingers ready because these are comics that you want to buy and have on your shelf. Eric, sir, thank you for coming. How you doing tonight, man? I'm doing great. Thanks so much for having me, Blake. I'm really excited to be here. I'm really excited. You guys can't see it because this is audio only, but this guy bought a Blake's Buzz shirt and is wearing a Blake's Buzz shirt on the Blake's Buzz podcast. He's now officially, I have a rule where when you come on twice, you're a friend of the show. You have surpassed that qualification. You are now just a friend of the show automatically on your first visit. So you you win the prize. That's how I do it. Winning friends and influencing people. That's, that's the name of the game, right? I, I mean, supposedly, right? I mean, I just, I just try not be a dickhead. It's hard sometimes. Though, right? I mean, <laughs> the world, the world wants to stress you into bad decisions, but I just try and read comics and get excited about nerd stuff. It seems to work sometimes. <laughs> what? Um. So you, you have this comic, which uh, is, is, very, it's so good. Uh, this, this blacksmith uh, from, from Ahoy, and Ahoy's, Ahoy's pumping out the jams lately. Like they've got some really cool stuff coming out. I feel like you're you're a good fit for them and, and what they've been releasing. Uh, how did how did that come to be? Because I know some of your stuff. I mean, No Angel was with with uh, Black Mask, but I know some of your other comics you've you've gone to Kickstarter for. And uh, this was actually from uh, your your artist from Atlantis wasn't built for tourists, Wendell. Um, so you guys have worked together before. So. What, how did you get connected with Ahoy? How did this come to be? Sure. Uh, so, yeah, like you mentioned, uh, uh, No Angel was published through through Black Mask. And because of that relationship I had with Black Mask, I met a number of the other Black Mask creators, including uh, Sarah Litt, who was the editor for uh, Black, the, the book Black, which was originally a Kickstarter project and then eventually published through Black Mask. And uh, Sarah and I became quite good friends and follow each other on Twitter. And she reached out to me one day and said, hey, I am now the editor at large for Ahoy. Do you have any pitches that you think would be a good fit? And I, uh, Ahoy tends to be a more, uh, they put the comic in comic book. They tend to be more humor focused. So I wasn't sure that anything that I could do for them would really, really, uh, you know, would move the needle uh, as far as is what they were looking for. So I sent over three pitches thinking, you know, it's good to just maintain this relationship with, with Sarah because you never know where she's going to end up or what, uh, you know, Ahoy is going to pivot. And then, I don't know, less than a week later, she emailed back and said, hey, I shared this blacksmith pitch with, with editorial and they love it. Welcome aboard. And the rest is history. And I do think it is, uh, I've had to up my humor game a little bit because of the the sort of material that Ahoy publishes otherwise, although I do sort of feel like it is a little bit of a black sheep uh, in their their lineup. It's a black and white book. Uh, it uh, It's not, it's funny, but it's not humor forward like some of their other projects, uh -huh. which I do want to say, like, I love everything Ahoy's put, putting out. It's kind of hard not to. You've got, you know, these industry legends like Stuart Moore and, and Tom Pyre and then, you know, Mark Russell, who is, you know, hasn't been in, in the game for very long, but in that time he's done uh, the Flintstones and Snaggletooth at, at DC. He's doing uh, One Star Squadron for them now. He put out uh, uh, 
second coming for them with yeah, my friend Richard Pace. Yeah. So, so yeah, it's it's a little intimidating, but I just couldn't be happier working with Ahoy. I, I mean, I, I can see how you think it, how it could be intimidating, but I mean, you've got really solid writing chops, man. Like you tell really great stories, and and I do like that. I, I like thinking of blacksmith as as the black sheep because it, it it's so different and. Uh, just like Liana's, I just, everything about this comic is just neat, right? Like Liana's covers are so vibrant and show-stopping and that you like squint. They're so bright, right? And then the, when like juxtaposed with, uh, with the black and white art, which is all, it, beautiful. And it's like, there's, I'm not, no slouching the black and white art because it, uh, like Wendell's pencils and inks are, are so solid and, and it's so it's very raw which I think goes well with the, the story because it's 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 raw like Strummer is Strummer's very no bullshit uh, you know like in, in your face and uh, but I mean there's there are there's some kind of the, the humor is interesting because it, it, it it's dark it's, I kind of wanted to call it like fantastical noir just because like it's like this blend of like fantasy and noir and it also like kind of sounds cool to say that and <laughs> I like to you know I kind of wanted to like impress you by <laughs> like calling it that but I feel like I mean that's kind of what it is it, especially because you know it's the, the private investigator and, and then it is kind of like there's a hopelessness uh, but not not as heavy as traditional noir because there's especially at the end like it, it it like ramps you know like it ends in a good place uh and and also ends in a way that's you know welcoming to more uh more story which we just found out this week that we're getting which is pretty exciting yeah very excited i actually they decided back in december they asked me if i wanted to come back and you know i said only if the, the whole team will come back and wendell was immediately on board liana's gonna do covers again sarah's gonna edit for us again so yeah we're getting the whole band back together i'm very excited uh and it was obviously written because i didn't want to say goodbye to these characters yet so being able to to come back to them and that's actually how i spent most of this morning was was working on volume two and it's just really exciting to to, to be back with them and you're right uh it is you know a it's kind of a kitchen sink approach to all of these things that i really love it's it's Buffy the Vampire Slayer, but with a little bit of a... It's like if the guys from Psych were trying to solve cases in <laughs> the Buffy the Vampire uh, Slayer universe. So, so yeah, like noir is definitely a big part of it. I wanted to do... I wanted to do the Maltese Falcon with with mythical creatures and you know fantasy horror tropes. I really like the blending of fantasy and horror. I think you do that really well. I, I, you you you're, you have a talent of of blending um, kind of uh, genre, but like like you stay kind of in horror, but you you throw in some mixers, you know, you, you, you throw in the good spices to like get that good flavor going. Right. Um, like I always got to talk about food cause I love food, but <laughs> you know, I, I think of like, um, uh, like Atlantis wasn't built for tourists and it, it's like, uh, it's far from a traditional vampire novel. Uh, and it's, it's far from a traditional vampire hunter story even. Uh, and you kind of like blend it in with the, the Lovecraft, the Lovecraftian sea people. Uh, which which was like so cool. I just I still remember like that page. First of all, just to kind of go back to like me as a reviewer and starting out, um, Atlantis wasn't built for tourists. Like made me feel like a rock star because when it when the trade came out before I posted my review, I I emailed Scout because they always say in their review emails they're like, hey, if you, you know, email us if you need something. 
And I emailed him and I was like, hey, I'd really like to write a review for Atlantis Wasn't Built for Tourists. The trade's coming out. Can can I get the issues? And in like, uh, like 40 minutes after I sent that, Charlie Stickney was like, oh, here you go, Blake. Thanks for doing that. And I was like, I was like, what? <laughs> Did I just ask for comics and then get them? And you like, anyway, so like that was really cool. And I was, I was like still, you know, new and starting out and like wasn't used to like how things worked and uh, ended up reading it and it blew my mind and the art was gorgeous and I didn't really know what it was about. I knew it was horror, you know, but it, it, I didn't like the whole vampire twist and I kind of went in blind and I like to do that. I know solicits are important to the to the cause, but I kind of hate reading them because it's, I you know, it's sometimes sometimes they tell you a little too much and it's like, it, well, like I, I get that. You need to sell issues, but like we we need to you know retain our surprise and stuff too. But yeah, so like Atlantis was so dope, and then I found like you that was originally like a Kickstarter, and then Scout you know, picked it back up and re-released it, right? Yeah. So uh, those those guys at Scout have been acquaintances and friends of mine for a lot of time, and I've always wanted to do something with them. And uh, I developed Atlantis Wasn't Built for Tourists, originally assuming it would be my follow-up at, uh, at Black Mask after No Angel. And things just didn't work out at Black Mask. And so when I kickstarted it, uh, you know, I was looking for a home. Just it wasn't really about making money. It was really about getting the book out to as many people as possible. And uh, I knew James Hayek because uh, his sister actually owns my LCS out here in Seattle. Oh, cool. So it's like a crazy small world sort of situation. And uh, and we, we had kind of talked about doing something for a lot of years. And so I just, I threw this at them. It was all done, which really helped. You know, all we had to do was uh, grab Emily Pearson to do a couple covers for the, the later issues. And we were off to the races. I really and... like it when Scout picks up these books because like they really come through with the covers like the web store variants and stuff like they do some cool shit yeah i have uh well you know my twitter uh my twitter avatar is currently uh uh steven russell black's uh comic shop variant for for atlantis wasn't built for tourists number one and it's just absolutely the best cover uh that that book got to have I don't want to. I don't want to sell all the other cover artists short because I've gotten to work with Richard Pace and and Casper Wingard and, and Emily Pearson and uh, obviously Liana, who was incredible. But but yeah, that book is. I really enjoy all of the sort of tropes and ideas and concepts behind horror, but I'm not necessarily a fan of jump scares. So it depends on what you're looking for in horror. I I, I don't know that. I guess dark fantasy, although dark fantasy sounds like a, like a YA novel cat category, <laughs> right? Like uh, like Twilight, but but yeah, I don't I don't necessarily need the the jump scares and the hopelessness that comes with horror so often. But I really enjoy vampires and werewolves and and the Lovecraftian mythology. Uh, all of that is really fun. Those are fun sandboxes to play in, even though I'm not uh, my my goal is not always to terrify the reader. I don't, I mean, so I think great horror is very similar to great comedy, right? Like it, it, it dives into the human condition and it makes us think differently about it. Um, and I also think it, it just, I guess, I guess genre fiction just in general kind of all shares that it's like, you want to take a sameness that we can find universality in, right. And, but also like distance us from it simultaneously, which just from a writing standpoint, I think is like really hard. So it's impressive when you all like pull that off correctly. 
Uh, because, like, you know, how how do you relate to, like, a, a sea monster person who's on a path of vengeance to slay vampires and kind of, like, save this small town? And, and also from, like, dirty cops, too. Like, I love that. I, it just... Atlantis had, had so many little layers, right? Uh, like the, the blooming onion phenomenon of like, you just take a bite and there's more delicious fried onion for you, you know, and then you take another bite and then there's more. And so I think you're really good at building tension. And I think tension is, is more important than a jump scare. Like keep me on edge, keep me turning those pages, uh, make me like breathe faster and, and forget to blink. Like, I think that's scarier, right? Than, than a jump scare. And I also don't really understand how jump scares work in comics. Cause you don't, you don't have the sound effects, right? You get, you have a page turn, like you can do like a cool page reveal or splash, but I mean, that's the, the jump scare in a comic I feel like is, is really hard to pull off. I, I mean, it, artists are certainly talented enough to do it and can, you know, visually disturb you, but it's, it's a different kind of phenomenon than, than in yeah. like cinema. Yeah. You can't really control the rate at which a reader ingests a comic or how they do it. If it's something digital or the, how the page turn is going to work. You're right. So it's, it is a different, it is a different beast. It's not really to scare people, I suppose. How That's do you, assessment. how do you like, um, how do you, like thematically, structurally build tension, right? Because I've, you know, it, some people say that it's like, uh, like, like the a good way to build tension is, is like using a bit of normalcy, like putting a character in a, an intense position, and then also thinking like, oh, did I leave the iron on? Oh, did I leave the stove on? Oh, did I leave my dog outside? Like these little, you know, little bits of normalcy, like sprinkled into abnormalcy and the and like the you know the um, the spectacle of of horror or dark fantasy or, or however you want to call it, like. Because you you have like a natural talent for it, I feel like, and and your your characters are intriguing enough and also frightening and off putting simultaneously. It's like you know because you're like as a reader like scared to rub them the wrong way, kind of you know like I would never um, if if I was uh, I would be scared to piss like Lucas Lewis off, right? Like I would not want to like rub him the wrong way after seeing what he's capable of. Uh, the the same way uh, the, the same with with Strummer, you know? like I I would not want to uh, I wouldn't want to like corner her in, in an alley right and, and piss her off because as we've seen in in Blacksmith like that's that's not a smart thing to do either. Um, but so you you have this like like a brashness in your characters like does that does that help you build tension and carry that through the narratives? Yeah, I mean I think you sort of start with establishing what a character is capable of and then as impressive as that is you introduce threats that are even more so. Like I'm currently working my way through Amazon's uh, new Reacher, Jack Reacher series. Mm. And there's a lot of similarities be between, and I've never read the novels uh, and, you know, only have the, the Tom Cruise version of the character to play with uh, or to think about. So this was entirely unintentional, but I think like Lucas from Atlantis wasn't built for tourists is very much like um, a Jack Reacher type character. It's very crazy how similar they are, even though you know, it's, you know, you have a lot of supernatural elements, but yeah, I mean, I think uh, the way, you know, this is a spoiler for a book that's two years old. So if you haven't read Atlantis wasn't built for tourists, uh, you can either meet, you know, fast forward or, or just hurry up and go buy the book. <laughs> but, um, you know, I, I love that, that reveal scene in the first issue where we, we first get our, our glimpse. We've been building up this tension with the, with the, the feral dog 
and then these this this gang of mysterious people who invade the the uh, the police station and the reveal that they're vampires should be the the biggest reveal of the of the book but then you turn the page again and it's like as scary and as formidable as these vampires are surprise Lucas is more so. Yeah. And I'm really like, I, I, I rarely like to toot my own horn as a, as a writer, but I'm, I really love how that whole scene plays out. No, it, it's, um, it was amazing. And again, like I, I, I always come back because in comic books, structure is very important. I mean, both to appreciate as a reader, but I mean, also like when, you know, you have a, a, a finite amount of pages that you have to work with for each issue. And you got to think about even in odd pages and how many panels are on a page and how many words are in a word bubble. And I know some people have like, there's like really intense rules on how many words a page and stuff like that. Um, but then also you got to think about the page turn. And then sometimes you got to think about ad placement, depending on who you're writing for. And so like structure and comics, and I don't think enough people talk about it because it's like, that's a big, that's a big pill to swallow. And, and you guys got to, you know, you got to do it right. If you don't do it right, you, your, your pacing is flawed and, and the reveals are flawed and, and the dialogue might even get chunky, you know, like, and, and so it, it always impresses me uh, when, when comics flow very easily and, and the pages turn organically or, or even, even fat, like if I'm, if I'm turning the pages faster to get to what's going, cause that's, there's a lot of work involved in that. Not, and it's not just the story and it's not just dialogue. It's, it's the planning. Yeah, it is. Uh... It's a lot, and especially when you now have, on top of that, you have multiple media in which people are consuming those same comics that were once always printed. And at least with indie comics, we always, you know, we didn't have to worry about ad placement because no one wants to buy ads in a in an indie comic. But um, but yeah, now you have digital. You have people who will read it on a iPad Pro or a, a computer screen, and they're they're seeing both pages simultaneously. So you sometimes lose the surprise of a page turn. Um, so yeah, you really do have to think about all that and. Um, uh, Blacksmith is written in six and nine panel grids because I really wanted to try and con mostly it was a little bit of, you know, I brought the readers along as I was kind of learning how to use that particular tool. Uh, but it really does help to control the pace and the flow of the story when you have these, these panels, like in Watchmen, the most famous example where you're kind of, uh, you're, you're doling out the information and, in consistently sides bits. What, um, what, what inspires you in, in, in the horror world? Like, like as a, as a, you know, someone who's not necessarily a fan of jump scares. So like, I'm thinking horror movies and reads are more cerebral for you. Maybe like, what, what are you into and what, what makes you like hype to write these stories? Yeah. The, the psychological aspect of it using, uh, you know, sort of like horror tropes as uh, horror movies as morality plays uh, is a very fascinating uh, sort of aspect of that. Somebody pointed out to me that, you know, the whole concept of the, the final girl and, you know, Scream is the best deconstruction of this, but the whole like the slasher movie tropes where it's all of these people who are in some way, they're, they're getting punishment for some behaviors that would be looked upon you know as as uh is on on immoral um i don't buy into that of course um but you know if you watch the uh the the, the slasher movies from the heyday the people who are killed is it's this force of nature 
going through and killing all of these immoral or amoral characters. And then the final girl is always someone who is, you know, pure of, of heart and or chaste. Um, and that's that's fa- fascinating to me. But as far as what I really like, it is definitely like I enjoy horror novels and, and horror fiction a lot more than I enjoy movies, I think, because you tend to see reliance on the jump scares. Um, I just finished uh, the uh, the only good Indians, which is a fantastic novel that really uh, it's a horror novel, but it really leans into uh, you know uh, its thematic content rather than just being about uh, a, you know it's a, about a literal force of nature hunting down this group of friends twenty years after they commit what they what could be perceived as 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 a sin and it's very fascinating how it 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 deals with that it it plays with with theme and i think you know you talk about the two books both atlantis wasn't built for tourists and uh and blacksmith there's a lot of window dressing but they're really like play on their themes right um and i both i think both they have a, a you know you could you could argue that both are about uh people coming to terms with with who they are and finding their tribes a little bit so i mean it's it's ultimately like it's a lot of window dressing and a little bit of theme i guess is how i would describe <laughs> my writing style yeah I, I remember everybody talking about that book when it came out like i kept seeing it everywhere uh i i wish i had more time to read like every my friends make fun of me all the time because like i read all the time but they're like uh, some someone the, the other day said, like, do you ever read books without pictures in them? And I was like, no, I like I don't have time. I want to like, but I, you know, I, I do the podcast and the blog and, and I, the people I interview I have books with pictures in them. And that's that's what I'm reading to, you know, prep and do stuff. Uh, I did just get some audio books, but I, I dived into I got some sci fi stuff. But what uh, what you're writing reminds me of is uh, Victor Lavalle. Um, he's. I hope I'm not saying his name wrong. I'm pretty sure it's, it's Lavalle or Laval. Uh, one of those, but he uh, he wrote the Changeling, uh, and he's writing Sabretooth. Uh, he I found him because he wrote Destroyer, which was a Boom comic um, that was like the sequel to Mary Shelley's Frankenstein, which was really gnarly, and it uh, it, it had a really good uh, uh, critique on like race and like how we think about race and and, and view it. And, and just it's very very cultural and, and really intense. Uh, and he used that and, and like mixed it into a horror motif. But the Changeling was a novel, and it it is a it is an adult dark fantasy. Like, uh, but it was it was like a, a modern dark fantasy about like a guy struggling to be a father. And then of course like these witches show up, and his his wife gets involved, and it it was very like like taut razor wire tension the whole time. And it just kept you on edge and it, it made the pages like so both like easy to turn, but sometimes like you were scared to turn the page because it was like ramped up so high and it's like it's building up on your nerves and you're like, what's going to happen when I turn this page? And like that, I, I, that's like a cool experience. And I got that. Um, I, I felt that a little bit with uh, with No Angel uh, was with that because No Angel was like very dark and the bugs and the action and. I love religious horror like so much because uh, I was raised Catholic, and so like it's that like messed me up a little bit I think, and so now like cultish like horror thing it's just kind of like my jam, and uh, and so No Angel like really impressed me, and that really shocked me because I, I I talked about that online and and you you hit me up and 
mentioned that like not a lot of people talk about no angel and i was like what like it's so good and, and you even mentioned like your your sister who is who is a actress who was on shield who was mockingbird on shield um which is also cool like it's just like the the levels of nerdiness like are in your blood and family's genes like that's just epic but you know your sister co co-created this co-wrote it with you um, what was, what was that like? like how did, um, how, how did that get in, like, for you to work with your sister on this project? Like, what, what was that? How did that teamwork happen? Cause you were sure. already writing before that, right? Kind of. Sure. Uh I was writing before I had done a couple of Kickstarter projects and had a little bit of, of success outside of No Angel. Uh, and we had obviously, we, we were very close. We're still very close. And um, we had always wanted to work together. And of course, like, I don't think it's going to surprise anybody that part of No Angel was to give her something that she could then turn around and pursue as a possible leading role for herself in the future. I mean, the, the main character... Hannah looks just like her. Um, uh, that's that's not that's not shocking to anyone. Uh, but I had this idea, uh, you know, this back of the napkin kind of idea about uh, you know a, a a woman who discovers that she may or may not be descended from angels. And I took that to her and I said, well, what about this for our project that we work on together? And she said, great. And so I flew down to L.A., spent a long weekend. We kind of broke the story there, came up with a rough outline. Uh, I went home. I was living in Ohio at the time, and I wrote it. Uh, I wrote the I wrote up the scripts, and as I wrote each script, I would mail them to her, and she would come back with her notes. Um, and again, a lot of the notes were geared towards like that sort of Hollywood mindset, you know, uh, the things that you sort of expect to see in a movie or a TV series, like who's the love interest? What's where's the sexual tension? All of that that you know she just kind of anticipated has to be in in that kind of a story and um you know so we went back and forth and i kind of broke her of some of those habits because comics are a different beast and you don't necessarily need all of those things to to, to tell a good story and if someone wants to pay us a lot of money to adapt it and add those things back in later like good for them and good for us uh but as far as the story i was telling and that we told uh we didn't need those things and so you know she's a co-writer because we came up with the story together. She had input into the scripts. I had a little bit more technical knowledge of how comics work and how to set up a comic script and how it's different from a television script or a movie script. And, and from there, and uh, it helped that uh, Matt Pozzolo, who is the uh, editor in chief president of black mask is a super nerd for religious horror and, <laughs> and exploring that the more uh, esoteric elements of, of religious and especially Christian mythology. So he was all in and um, you know, there's a couple of great visuals, especially in that first book with the, the bad guy and the, the spiders in his eyes. So we were, uh, we were very fortunate and I think it's, it, it, it is a good book. It's a book I really enjoy. Um, I think it turned out, pretty great and you know, there's no plans currently to do more with that but it's a story that much like most of my work is open-ended and you know hope springs eternal that we can revisit the no angel universe i would be stoked I was, that's what i was wondering is they there i did i did notice the 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 physical similarities between the main character and, and your sister um but i i was because there was that like discourse for a while where people were getting angry where it was like, oh, I can't get this movie made or I can't get this pilot made. So I'm going to go make a comic book. And yes, like, uh, you know, the, the format 
the the scripting format is similar, but it's it's still very different. You know, like a, a, a movie script or a cinematic script in a in a comic book script. Like there's just you know if you look at the pages and, and how the words are structured and and you know panel layout and scene layout, like that's kind of similar, but it's just it's still a different animal. And sure. so there was like that. You know, a lot of people were like, oh, these these you know, it's like. You know, if your if your movie or your your if your uh, pilot pitch failed, that doesn't mean it's going to make a great comic. Like, that's not a good mentality to to take into the medium. And but I also was wondering how that would be as so, as someone who like an, an actor who is familiar with scripting and, and making notes and how see, you know scene progression and and how you know you know the the uh, the, the visual aspect of of, narr- of you know storytelling as opposed to just traditional prose like if that would you know like if that would make it um, the collaboration between you and your sister like uh, better or or worse even and just like working with a family member like I love my sister and we're super close but I could also see like that sibling men- the mentality of like no you're wrong and and you're like a little too comfortable with each other to just be like shut up you know like. And like the arguments that may stem from that, but that was a cool comic, and it was it was like really dark and intriguing, and the art like Ari's art is nuts, and that like uh, spiders creep me out anyway, so like the bugs and the spiders like it all just worked really well, and it, I just like I don't know it was it was very very interesting um, that both of your names were on that uh, just from like both of you have like you know different different backgrounds. Of, well, I, I do want to I want to clarify something I said earlier is that while it was developed with one eye towards it maybe one day being a something that we could adapt into a television show or a movie or something like that, it was always a comic book first. I am a comic book writer. I don't have aspirations of using this to uh, you know, comics as a springboard to go to Hollywood and join a writer's room. That's that's not what I want to do. Like, I, I am a comic book writer, and that's what and who I want to be. And No Angel was always a comic book first. And so even though her name was attached to it, and there was definitely a likeness, it is definitely born out of our mutual love for comics as a medium first. Nice. Um, that said, it is really nice to be able to tell someone to shut the hell up when they're wrong. <laughs> Which is something that you can do with a sibling that you can't do in a writer's room. Exactly. <laughs> That's funny. Uh, and I I love that comic. I, I really do. But I would, like, it would also play really well. Like, I, I could see it, like, if, if HBO or Showtime did, like, a, uh, you know, like, a five five or six episode mini series, you know, like, I, I just, it would, a lot of that would be very cool to see on screen. And I, and I think it's because of, I mean, your, your guys' story is great, but just like Ari's art too, like it really, that's one of my favorite things about horror comics is is the, it's not like a total reliance on visual, like I don't want to discredit the hard work that the writer puts into the comic, but there's, on more so than I think even like superhero comics, like because superhero comics are all about the spectacle, right? These big action scenes, these wide splash pages with multiple characters and awesome poses and fists being thrown and, and powers you know shooting across the page and but like horror is different like it's it's kind of like excite you and disturb you simultaneously and, and like and so like it puts like extra pressure on your guys as artists and oh yeah i think i've you. lucked out and every book like your art team is like able to carry your vision and i love that yeah like 
15, 20 years ago now, I was decided I wanted to be a comic book writer. And I, I went online to a, a message board at the time and I put in, uh, you know, hey, I have this four page comic that I wrote. I'm looking for, a, you know, an artist to, to draw it just so I had something to put into a portfolio. Uh, and it was this little four page story called The Undertaker's Daughter about uh, uh, a teenage uh, hit, hit girl, hit woman. Right. She was she was a professional assassin, but she was 17 years old. Um, and you know, there's just little four page stories, not a lot of meat on those bones. But this uh, this kid from Brazil named Wendell Cavalcanti reached out and said, hey, I'll do it for 25 bucks a page. And I said, cool, let's do it. And like from that was born this relationship that is now, you know, 15 years in the making. We've got, That's so um, you know, two two books that I absolutely love and adore in Atlantis and Blacksmith. And we're going to have Blacksmith Volume 2 coming out by the end of the year. And, you know. I would love to have that relationship with Wendell that uh, Brubaker has with Sean Phillips, where it's just, you know, a lifelong partnership. I, I, I love working with the guy, you know, unless he's lying to me, he's enjoying himself too. <laughs> so, uh, you know, I hope that we can just keep going forever and, and, you know, and make some more books. Um, I do have a, uh, you know, I have other work in, in the pipeline, uh, including uh, like a little one shot set in the Atlantis wasn't built for tourists universe. I think this is the first place where I'll talk about it publicly is that uh, uh, Stephen Russell Black, who did the uh, who painted the the variant comic book shopping network cover for Atlantis was one is doing some sequential work with me and we're doing a, a 20 page uh, Atlantis wasn't built for tourists one shot. Um, so, you know, that's uh, you know, th that book, that, that story belongs to Wendell and me together, but this is something that we can satisfy readers of that universe while he and, while Wendell and I are playing in the, uh, the blacksmith universe for a little while. Nice. Is that, uh, although, now, would that come out, would you kickstart that or would that be like a scout thing? Uh, it will be kickstarted first and then, uh, hopefully, hopefully, you know, scout is interested enough to continue publishing that. Cause I would love to do more work with them as a publisher. That's awesome. That's exciting. Yeah. Oh, man, I just, Blake's, Blake's Buzz exclusive, ladies and gentlemen. Like, yeah, that's so first cool. time talking about it. Man, yeah, it takes place immediately after special, the first man. Like, no one, no one ever makes me feel special, Eric. Oh, man, you're doing, <laughs> you're doing great. I mean, you know, you, you know, it's a great podcast. I enjoy this show. I enjoy the the odd, you know, the the, the people you've had on so far. You know, uh, I, I'm I'm just happy to be here. I'm glad that we finally made this work. You know, we've been, you know, buds and Twitter mutuals for a couple of years now. And this is the first time I'm on the show. So I know I was, I was really excited. Uh, uh, I'm, I was, well, I, I'm glad like it worked for, for Blacksmith, too, because it's uh, I just think it's very different than it's it's like simultaneously very you, but also like different than the other stuff I've, I've read from you. And it's. And it's just so, oh, it's so, it's like, it's raunchy and it's sexy and it's cool. Like it's, it's, and, and, and the, the, the mix of like fantasy and, and horror and like the, the, the Minotaur and the, I don't love werewolves. I think they're like, I feel like we get so much vampires everywhere and like werewolves get like left out every now, you know, like, or, or like the werewolves will be, have like a appearance in a, in a vampire tale, but the, it's not really focused on them. So like, the the idea of of the of the vampire uh, or not, of the of the werewolf like pi right and and the just and the, having the gin like uh, uh, like buddy cop uh, motif and the 
the haunted ghost dog like it was okay about about the dog um about Grim. Was, is that based on like real folklore? Like, cause yes. Okay. Oh, oh, sweet. All right. Let's tell how, what kind of, okay. What kind of research happens? Like how, where did these ideas come from? Cause if a lot of this was, you know, not like it's not historical, but it's, you know, like these are, these are uh, myths and legends that we've like sure. grown up with and known for a long time, but I've never heard of the ghost watchdog, which is yes. also kind of fucked up. Cause it's like these, the church has to like bury the dog alive. And as like a, a man who has like two dogs, right? Like I was like, no, but he's so cool. <laughs> so, so to, uh, um, can I, can I do a spiel about blacksmith? Let your, re- uh, your listeners know if they haven't already read the book. Yeah. Spiel uh, it, spiel it out. All right. it. So, so blacksmith is the story of one Janie Jones strummer Mercado, a private investigator in Los Angeles who happens to be a werewolf. And the first volume blacksmith deals with her latest case, uh, that has fallen in her lap that involves finding 30 stolen silver bullets. Now those silver bullets may or may not have been cast from the 30 pieces that Judas paid to, or was paid to betray Jesus, um, which makes them in terms of the mythology we've created, supercharged bullets capable of killing anything. Uh, the, the, uh, her patron, the person that hires her, Rainsford Black, is sort of a supernatural big game hunter. And they're his bullets and he wants them back. Uh, and then that kicks off, you know, this this uh, this mystery and uh, Strummer's journey through the supernatural underground that exists in Los Angeles, uh, along with her her uh, her sidekick, her partner in crime, Ben Salat, who is a uh, he's a gin to hear him say it, he's ha- only half gin. But uh uh, you know, and it, it, it builds from there. And we introduce a lot of other mythological creatures, uh, living, dead, and otherwise. Uh, and everything is sort of based on existing folklore uh, or mythology, including their dog, Grimm, who is a cemetery Grimm. And cemetery Grimm's are based on this, this bit of folklore that I, I ran across specific to the British Isles where uh, according to legend, when a new church was built, the first person to be buried in the, in the graveyard alongside the church, would uh, their soul would be consigned to live forever on the church grounds and, uh, and haunt the church and protect it from evil. So in order to keep a human from being stuck with this, with this task, uh, churches would bury a dog alive before they consecrated a new. Uh, it's a terrible, sad story, like you said, Blake. But they would they would bury a dog alive uh, when they consecrated a new a new uh, cemetery alongside a church, and then it would therefore be that ghost's spirit that was consigned to that protection protector role. Um, and I thought that was really interesting, and just came up with this idea that all Strummer would have to do would be to carry a fragment of that dog's bones around and then be able to, to summon the church grim at needed, as needed. And he's a very good boy. He is a good boy. He's a good boy. <laughs> he's a cool character. I love that you did the, cause I, I love those like uh, internet videos of like dogs that like walk themselves and like hold the leash and like, you know, <laughs> you know, they're, they act all proud and, and 
I, I don't want to. I don't want to spoil it for our readers, but there's a there's a very uh, similar uh, cutesy internet uh, dog walking himself video element to um, a later issue that just like I just it's so he's such a such a cool such a cool dog and and just the, the idea of the, like the idea of a guard ghost dog right like that's so metal and crazy and that I was I've been wondering that because I I'm not I got apparently I'm not the best Googler because I was like Googling like ghost dogs and like like I was not Googling the right phrase apparently but yeah I was that's so cool that that's well it's not cool because dogs shouldn't be buried alive but that I yeah. mean it's, it's an interesting idea like I feel like a bad person for saying it's an interesting idea but it is an inter you know in fiction in fiction it's an interesting right. idea. Right. I mean, it's it's not a practice that is still done today, right? So yeah. we we uh, you know humanity has a history of doing a lot of crazy shit. Um, but yeah, like <laughs> the Catholic Church, <laughs> you know the uh, I like I wouldn't be surprised. Like, <laughs> and and since you're a, you're a fan of both books, uh, when they walk through uh, uh, Rainsford's trophy room at the beginning of issue two, uh, be on the lookout because there is a. Uh, there's a there's a throwback to Atlantis wasn't built for tourists, a little Easter egg that Wendell uh, on his own posted and uh, put into that trophy room. Oh, cool! I'm man, I'm so bad at Easter eggs. Like <laughs> it's all right. I like uh. it, like when, uh, I remember when uh, when Guardians of the Galaxy came out and everybody was like, "Oh, did you see this? And did, did you see this? And did you see this?" And I was I was like. Dude, I was like, did I even watch this movie? Like, dude, like, what was I watching? Like, I missed everything. So yeah, I'm I'm just. Uh, it took me five times watching Guardians to realize that the uh, the alien that the the first alien that Dr Drax beats up is uh, voiced by Nathan Fillion. It took me five <laughs> times watching to realize that. Oh, <laughs> well, cool! I'm I'm not the only one that that, that I'm not I don't I miss stuff. So that's cool. Like. <laughs> It gives you a reason to go back, right? Like that's that's one of the cool things um, that I've actually come to appreciate. Uh, that Blake's Buzz makes me do is, is you know like I end up reading books again or prepping or you know when I read a review like I I like to read it you know like blow through it let it simmer go back to it flip through it take some notes you know and so like it's made me appreciate storytelling and, and these comic books like uh, in, in a totally different way and I feel like I get more out of it you know like having to do that to like get in the mindset and write about it and think about it and talk about it. And uh, so, yeah, it's, 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 uh, it's interesting. Like I love, I love just like the heart and soul and bits of that's the beauty of comics, right? Like it's, it's not just you working on it. You have a writer and a letterer and there's an editor and there's, there's all these, there's all these like hands in the, in the kitchen, in the pot, right. Making the meal. And, and you, you get that, like you, you get this like amalgamation of creativity that, uh, and, I, and we don't get that in prose. Um, get it a little bit in cinema, but cinema is different because there's so many more people. You know, like it, it almost loses the intimacy because there's like hundreds of people that work on a movie, whereas like you know four or five people that work on a comic. They're just kind of I don't know. I always I always thought it was cool, like uh, an interesting bit of the medium that like other other elements of storytelling and and you know um, stuff like that doesn't really doesn't really get. No, I think that's very fair. And it's it's interesting to see when you have an opportunity to see, you know, I have had comics that I've worked at worked on at the pitch stage where an artist has done four or five pages of my script. And then for whatever reason, that artist didn't work out, uh, isn't available when the story finally gets uh, picked up or, you know, a number of other things. But then you get to see how different artists interpret the same bit of script. And that's always fascinating. And oh, it's really, 
it's really important to realize that we're in a state we're in a we're in a phase of the of the medium and the industry right now where uh, it's very writer centric. And as a writer, I think that's horrible because I do a very small percentage of the work, right? Like artists are what make or break the uh, uh-huh. make or break the stories, make or break the books that we're reading. And, you know, uh, uh, they're the ones that give these books the personality and then, you know, it, uh, you know, arguably, it's easier to read a good story with bad art than a bad story with good art. But I don't know that that's true. I would rather just, you know, I'd rather look at Frank Quitely pages all day long, uh, <laughs> no matter who's writing them, yeah. than I would, uh, you know, uh, uh, the same story drawn uh, drawn by a, a, a sixth grader. <laughs> I don't. I don't want to call anyone out. I don't want to call anyone out. No, I was, um, just, I was just thinking of like name Grant Morrison. <laughs> Frank's name was drawn by like a child. <laughs> like, the, the traumatic like experience that would like leave <laughs> like the the school teacher that like sees the six year old drawing like severed body parts and cult symbols. And, yes. <laughs> right yes that that is definitely a sixth grader whose parents are going to have to come in and talk to the teacher right yeah um, that's going to be a meeting um <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah no that was a that was a really uh clunky analogy i was trying to make but i definitely think that it's important to recognize that every everybody who's is contributing including i've read i've read some really horribly lettered comics before yeah that that even that can ruin a story Mm -hmm. um everyone who is is participating in the creative process is is integral to the comic and to the finished product and their fingerprints are on it and their personality is part of it and uh you know while it's easy to to say it's written by you know that the story is is birthed with the writer the finished product is is the response is response everyone's responsible for it on that note um and and when you mentioned earlier about how you've been working with wendell for for many years now and and you guys are you guys are like buddy like nerd buds and you like working together and and I feel like your stories are like looking at like the new pages and, and blacksmith. And I, I, I feel like Wendell's maybe it was the lack of color that really made me appreciate Wendell's art even more so because it's, it's so detailed and, and lovely and beautiful. Um, and but when you're scripting, um, I mean, like, do you so let's, let's say for blacksmith uh, for these first five issues or, or even the new stuff coming um, are, do, are you, are you real tight? Do you have like a lot of descriptors and, and, uh, are, are you picky about like, uh, scene layout and viewpoint and stuff like that? Or, or do you kind of keep it loose and, and trust him to kind of tell that part of the story with his own talents? Unless a certain angle or point of view is integral to the, the part of the story that I'm telling or the beat of the story that needs to be conveyed, I tend to be very, very loose for him at this point. Um, in fact, working with a couple of other artists right now, I've had to readjust and because they've come back with a lot of questions because I'm so used to writing for Wendell who... <laughs> you know, four or five words are enough to convey what I need. And, and they're, it, it doesn't quite, we're not quite as simpatico with these other artists. I gotcha. Yeah. Um, they're like, guide is, me. <laughs> yeah, right. And you're like, no, like just do it. <laughs> yeah. 
No, that, that's 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 I can see how that would be both uh, stressful slash irritating, but also like super gratifying. And 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 again, just to like talk about how freaking great Blacksmith is, is I, I I feel like that's part of the reason is that relationship you have with your creative team. Yes, absolutely. This is a book that, um, and I do want to say uh, before I get to my actual point, I do have to digress and say that uh, with regards to Liana's amazing covers, like those covers were all her. Um, she decided that she wanted to be inspired by like 50s and 60s era paperback book covers, especially those pulpy noir uh, book covers that you 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 would find in a you know for twenty five cents at the at the bookstore, but she wanted to add in her sort of neon color palette that she's known for, and it just yeah, works so her, well. Her color palette's insane. Like I I, I love her stuff. And she provided. Um, I know the 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 pre read that you you saw of the trade um, doesn't have the back matter in it, but she provided a lot of cool uh, extras about her process that'll show up in the trade when it comes out next week. Um, she's a she's a busy woman. Like, yeah, I, I you I think you got lucky. Um, but well, I also I think that's cool because she definitely loved that comic because I like her. She was very vocal about it on social media. Very proud of those covers, uh, and as as it should be, they're gorgeous. Uh, and and as I'm sure like everybody noticed when you see those on a comic book shelf, like they they pop. Like your eye goes to those, and you like can't look away. Uh, and but she she loved your story like she's she's a fan of your work as well so like that was a, I think that was like a pretty every, blacksmith just had like everything going for it like there was no uh, other than I guess maybe like you know paper shortage delays stuff like I mean that's like the, but everybody was everybody's dealing with that right but I mean other than that like the the found you know the the foundation was there to like to build to build the crazy you know empire the the werewolf the werewolf pi empire that you've now constructed like it was just like I love seeing those like pieces fall into place. I actually, before I started doing the podcast, when I was just doing the blog, I did a written interview with Tom Payer, right? I talked to him, um, the anti-Superman, penultimate man, yeah. And uh, they sent me the they sent me the trade for that, and they were like, "Do you want to uh, do you want to like interview Tom?" And I was like, "This is like my second interview that I've uh, that I've done, and this is the president of Ahoy Comics." And I was like, "Okay, like uh, I hope so. sure, yeah, let's party." And uh, so I sent him a few questions about, you know, like what he thinks about superheroes and, and what he's what he's trying to say in, in, in this, you know, this weirdness uh, uh, and and this the idea of like how we judge ourselves and our our self image. And anyway, he gave me some really cool answers until like I was doing this deal where I said uh, I, I always ask people what their favorite sandwich was, and I would I was gonna do like the sandwich series of interviews and and make like a sandwich board. <laughs> Because there is no good sandwich because everybody wants to put mayo on it and mayo fucking sucks. And I was like, oh man, I was like, I was like, Tom, can you throw me a bone? Like, I didn't, didn't want to like, like, can you please just tell me a sandwich? But like, I was like, okay, like, whatever, that's good. But he mentioned in this interview uh, before, like, well before I, I, I had even seen a uh, cover, I think. And, and I was like, you know, what's what's going on at Ahoy? What are, what are you excited about? And he, he mentioned Blacksmith, and he was like, we've got this werewolf comic about this werewolf PI. And he's like, and he said, like, and I'm not making this up. He says it's like one of the coolest things that, that Ahoy's put out. And I was like, I was like, what? And so, yeah, so like right off, like before I even saw anything or a cover or art or, or knew it was written by you, he just kind of kind of dropped that in an interview. 
crazy. Yeah, it is. It is just, uh, I am, I am so glad. I am so proud of that book. And I am so glad that it has found an audience that people seem to love it. Um, you know, that we're getting to do a sequel. It's you're right. You, like you said, everything was going for it. Like it's found the perfect home. Uh, it's, you know, it's Wendell and me doing our thing. Liana came on and covers, you know, she is a, a good friend of mine and has been a good friend for a number of years. Oh, cool. But her doing covers was actually our editor, Sarah Litt's idea. And so like, I don't know if Liana knows that, but like, when Sarah came to me and said, who do you want to do? Who do you want to do covers? Like Liana's name, you know, I'm sorry. I'm sorry, Liana. Um, <laughs> you know, that wasn't my, that wasn't where my head went. I was thinking someone more like a Richard Pace and like have like these grim, dark, uh, shadowy covers. And, uh, you know, and as we're brainstorming, Sarah out of the blue says, oh, how about, how about Liana? And I said, yep, let's do that one. And that was it. And from there we, you know, Liana immediately said yes. We got to work together. Hopefully it's not the last time. Hopefully blacksmith covers aren't the last time Leon and I get to work together. Um, and, and the rest is history. It's been a book that's sort of, uh, uh, I there were some decisions made that I am glad that I was not in a position to veto them with this book because they were ultimately better for the finished product. Uh, it was Ahoy's decision to go black and white with it. Uh, the original pitch was in color. Um, but I think it works. I think if you're doing a noir book, black and white is great. I was originally concerned because of how black and white books traditionally do in, in today's market until somebody said, hey, you know that the most popular indie comic of the last 30 years was a black and white non-superhero book with horror elements. And I said, oh, yeah, OK, we can do this. Um, and it just, you know, it ended up, it ended up working out great. And, uh, another decision that they made that I wouldn't have, and it was absolutely the right decision to go in their direction was they spoil, uh, the way the first issue is structured is that you don't immediately know that Strummer is a werewolf. Mm -hmm. That's sort of a, again, that's much like Atlantis. That's a reveal that happens midway through the issue. Um, it's hinted very strongly, but we don't actually answer that question. And they put that right in the solicits, right? That is exactly how the book has been solicited from moment one is it's a story of a, it's a werewolf PI book. And that was absolutely the right way to go because it absolutely is a werewolf PI book. And knowing that I think attracted an audience of people that loved the book that might not have checked it out if it was just a black and white noir, if it was solicited as just a regular detective story. Yeah, I, I could see that, but it, it, you also, and again, going back to like congratulating you on how well you structure your stories, uh, the, the, that even though we knew that, you know, we knew that there was a werewolf in that, like nothing really could prepare a reader for that scene, right? And I, I love she's like walking down this alley, and these guys are following her, and you know she's a badass already, right? Because she's like been shot, she like squeezes the bullet out in the bathtub, like, and like you know, she's just like does all this herself and then you know she, and then she's like no i'm going out for noodles which was just like i just love that i loved it so much and so it, the, in this alley and then and then but when the turn happens right because that's you know that's that was kind of a we've seen that in, in werewolf narratives before that they can control the turn you know um sometimes sometimes they can't and sometimes it happens just on the full moon sometimes they can kind of you know make it happen uh themselves and uh but yeah like again and that was very similar to atlantis too because that 
a very similar vibe of like uh, that reveal on like a full page splash, like a big, frightening, detailed, horrific image. Uh, you know, even with the black and white, uh, as opposed to like you know, Atlantis was fully colored and everything. But yeah, like Wendell, Wendell's good at like Wendell's splash pages are legit. Like they're yeah. so good. When you get those, like, in the email, like, when, when he, like, sends you stuff, like, is it just, like, crazy? Or you just, like, do you get, like, super amped? Like, you're, like, oh, I get, God. I get so excited finding, getting new pages from him. And, you know, we're, we're at that, we're just about at that stage where it's going to start happening for me again. And I'm really excited, so. How hard is it not, like, I'm sure you have, like, a group of people or, like, a, a like, a reader group that you, like, throw pitch ideas to and stuff, but, like, I always hear how exhilarating and, and it seems to be like akin to seeing your comic book on the shelf, right? It's like that level of like pride and, and excitement when you get these, like this person turns your script page into this beautiful image. And like, I, how hard is it just to not like put it on, like, like post it on Twitter and be like, everybody look like, I, I feel like that'd be so hard. Yeah. I have, you know, I have a group of, of friends that I will, uh, some who are in comics, some who are not. Uh, and yeah, I will, I'll tease things out. Sometimes it's, hey, take a look at this. And sometimes it's, you know, when the whole issue is done, I will throw it at them, not for a pull quote or anything, but just because, you know, it's a point of pride and you hope that they'll do the same. And, and yeah, it's, it's, it is really hard not to, you know, uh, to put things out, especially in the pitch stage. Um, you know, I'm really trying harder not to put things that are active pitches out on, you know, not just because it's bad juju. You don't want to jinx it. Um, so so you've also, I, I've, I, I keep, I've wanted to kind of segue into this a little bit. Like you're, you're a great writer. You, you've got this, you've got this hot comic out right now. You, you got your second arc approved, which is awesome. And, and I'm super excited about it. Um, and I also appreciate that, like your narratives, like I like that you build or leave room to build, but they also end well, you know, like it's, yeah. if, if, if Blacksmith wouldn't have got a volume two, like volume one had a solid like they they solve the mystery. It's got a good twist. It's got a, a great final scene, and the or well, like, uh, the climax is good. And then the the kind of like oh we did it, and and everybody kind of has more faith in themselves at the end. Like I thought that worked really well. But you are you also edit you you've worked on some you've done anthology work. You've done uh, you you worked on both Deadbeats right volume one and volume yes. two, and then you did um, the sci-fi all we ever all we ever wanted. Yeah, and then there was a follow-up to All We Ever Wanted called Maybe Someday. Okay. So I've done I've done five, I've edited five anthologies. Uh, I have a story myself in all five of them. And it's a lot of work. Um, I, I don't, never say never, but I'm hoping that <laughs> like sc scripting work is going to, you know, sort of take the place of that for, for a while. Yeah, it seems like a lot. Uh, as And I, so I just, I recently pitched to an anthology and, um, I still can't. Uh, this is your this is your interview, so I don't want to like. Talk Dude, about I am you. so proud of you. I am so excited <laughs> for you. That is awesome. Thank you. I uh, my artist knew about it. Uh, Rich, he was like, I I sent him the email, and I was like. I was like, dude, look at this. And he was like, oh, man, they, are, they they told me. I just wanted you to find out for yourself. And I was like, you <laughs> bastard. I was, like, I was like, come on, man. But, yeah, so, I mean, like, that was that was crazy. But just, like, kind of um, learning about the pitch process um, and, uh, and like, Band of Bards is uh, – 
so I, I submitted to Band of Bards, and I, they picked 16 stories and got over 200 submissions. And they're new. Like, they, they're a new publisher. It's not like they're fully staffed. They don't have, like, a table of readers. It's just it's a handful of people that were going through these pitches. And, like, uh, I used to – so when I – in my undergrad, I was an editor on, the, on our college lit mag. And uh, even then, like, when it was all, like, prose and poetry – and it was just a lot, you know, you, you have this like 400 page stack of stuff and you got to read it. And, you know, like I always, I always wanted to give it a full shot. Like if, if the first couple pages didn't get me, I'd be like, All right, I still want to finish the story. Like maybe, maybe there's a turn, maybe there's a reason it's starting slow, you know? Uh, and, and it's just, it's a lot it's reading and thinking about it. And is this going to work? Is this a good fit for us? Like all of that, the, that choice. Right. And then, and that's just the selection. Then you got to, then you edit everything and then you have to, you give notes and say, Hey, maybe, maybe do this. And then you got to think about, uh, what goes where and like, you know, what, you know, where, what do we start with? What do we end with? What goes in the middle? Like all this stuff and, and the, 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 the anthology work. Uh, so yeah, it just seems really, really exhausting. And I appreciate people like you doing that because so many people, um, find, find luck in publishing in anthologies that maybe, you know, like that kind of helps you get your foot in the yeah, I mean, I've I've seen that happen. I've seen people use their anthology story as a, um, you know, to to give them a leg up to to you know use that to sort of segue into to more work. Which is you're right, it's really uh, rewarding to see that. Uh, we have always done uh, my my editing partners and I with the sci-fi uh, series. It was Matt Miner, and then with Deadbeats, it was Joe Corallo. Uh, we always curate our anthologies, so it's invitation only. Because you're right, like that that 400 uh, submission, uh, those those slush piles do seem kind of daunting. Um, but and it's still even then, you know, even if you're asking established people, and and we always, you know, we we try to mix it up. You know, we we want a few names to kind of give you that, uh, uh, you know, the the. I don't want to be too gross about it, but the sort of star power to kind of yeah. attract readers. Yeah, you want you know, recognize their names to, to right, help bring, bring in their established audiences. And then you can give a lot of people a shot that you know that are sort of, you know, that we know from, you know, the grind in the indie, indie scene. And uh, it's always really exciting. Um, uh, Trace Dean did a story for the first Deadbeats that like reading the script, I was like in tears. Uh, and it's cool to see that, you know, Trace this year has a new vault book and he has a new book. At, he's doing a, a Eternal Warrior graphic novel. So it's really cool to see, you know, uh, his ascent in the industry. Just to give you like one example, I got to do a, a story in the first Deadbeats with Liana where she did the sequentials um, about what it's really like to sell your soul for success. <laughs> um, and uh, And yeah, I mean, those have been a lot of fun but they're also, it's really taxing. And as a person who is not quite making enough of a living just doing comics that I can afford to step away from my day job, I really have to be a little bit more uh, discerning with how I treat yeah. my free time because I'm working a 40 hour a week job and then doing comics. I, an anthology is such a, such a lot of work. Um, Do you think that helped, um, I mean, do you think that it makes you a better writer in a sense, or is it, yeah. is it like a different kind of practice for the craft? Yeah, absolutely. If you, you know, if I had to go back and do it all over again, I would, uh, because it's, it's great to see a Chris Sabella script or a Teeny Howard script or a, 
uh, a Trace Dean script, you know, to see how everybody else does it. Uh, it, it is a learning experience, and and I've I've come away with with better formatting tips, with, with you know I've come away as a better writer. Um, so it was absolutely worth worth doing. It's just at this point, and I, I usually feel this way at the conclusion of any of them anyway. <laughs> like, <laughs> like like I I've done five, and five times I've said I'm never doing that again. <laughs> uh, especially because those were uh, they all five of them we did a Kickstarter to mm -hmm. to fund to fund publication and then, it's like stress on stress on stress <laughs> yeah right right and especially when you're you're running you're running the campaign at the same time that you're doing the cat herding part of of the work where you're getting you know writers to finish their scripts and artists to finish their pages and then you know sending them out to letterers at the 11th hour and asking them please to just letter it right now uh so it is it's a lot it's a lot but it is it is really rewarding and as a as a writer i love doing short pieces uh my favorite thing that i've ever written is a story called two left feet which is in all we ever wanted uh with uh, eric donovan uh did the the line work and gab Contreras colored it and it's it's my favorite it's an eight page story it's my favorite thing i've ever written I feel like those are really hard. Uh, so, like, I, I've, I've talked about this on the podcast a couple times um, with with uh, people that have come on and, and had previous anthology work. And it's like, you know, with with a with a traditional issue, even even if you, if you get you know five issues or more or, or four or even or you know, like you still have to think about the, the twenty or twenty two, twenty five pages of like your issues, right? Your your chapters. And then, uh, and, and even then, like 22 pages, uh, 30 pages of a comic book script isn't a lot of words, right? You, it's not, it's not like a 30 page short story. It's, it's not like prose. You don't, you know, you, you have to be, you have to, uh, you have to be quick on your feet. You have to make us care. You have to put your characters through something and have them end up in a different place, right? You have to make the arc. And then, uh, and to do that in, in like uh, six script pages or eight or 10, like that's wildly fascinating to me because I just the I feel like you have to be really talented to pull that off and and that's why I love anthologies because they're they're very they're very cool and but I also uh, like know like how intense they are to curate and, and build and, and print and produce uh, and so it's I, I I appreciate I appreciate all editors that that do that uh, and and I appreciate the creatives that are able to pull that off because I, like I said it's if you can like move me in in six comic book pages, like that's super impressive. I don't I don't think many people can do that. I don't think many great comic book writers can do that. It's because they just it's. I mean, I, I feel like you know the the rock stars get the time to tell their stories, right? And sure. these these like thirsty young bloods that get into these anthologies, like they don't get the time. They they have to like make use with like the little bit that you give them in this two hundred page anthology that's that's shared with you know 12 to 15 other people so it's it's just it's, it's a really interesting animal uh to me and and uh as so like i said as someone who's like been on an editing table like it's just like it's 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 crazy and and it's to see you guys produce that and yeah to, to know that you like did five of them and had stories in them and and doing your day job and writing other comics simultaneously i can see how that's like a lot like <laughs> to maybe maybe just take a break but like i think <laughs> yeah. i still think it's cool you did that because i i do think that you doing that helps helps young creatives helps new creatives that are hesitant to try and and tell that first short story you know like so i, I think what you all do with these is, is very cool 
right? And I say this, you know, I say this now, and then I know that a week from now, something's going to happen and I'm going to end up doing another one. So. <laughs> um, but yeah, I, it's, I mean, the, the long and short of it is I, I, I love the medium. I love making comics. I love the collaborative effort. You know, it's, um, you know, when, when I pitched Blacksmith and, um, I think this is a is a good way to tie everything up is when I pitched Blacksmith, you know, we talk about themes and uh, it's really about uh, it's really about Strummer coming to terms with her found family. Right. And I pitched it and I said, you know, uh, metaphorically and, and, and allegorically, it's about my relationship with the comic book industry. Right. It's about like the found family that I have. Uh, with with other creators and you know the people like I've come up with and I'm in the process of coming up with uh, as a creator you know um, I've often said that uh, Bull Durham the 1980s minor league baseball movie with with uh, Kevin Costner and Tim Robbins uh, is the best movie ever made about working in indie comics <laughs> I like that that's cool you, <laughs> you travel a lot you uh you work your weekends you don't get paid shit uh and you're all you're just trying to make it to the show it's the same thing that's awesome speaking of speaking of show are you guys um are you are you missing tabling and, and doing stuff like that or are you uh i i, I feel like some people are kind of like okay without the the con circuit being as like pertinent as it once was I, in the city again again it's like i miss all my friends Mm-hmm. Um, I did two shows in 2021, 2021, um, time is a flat circle. Um, but, uh, I did, I did New York and I did Emerald city because I'm Seattle. So Emerald city just made sense. Uh, that show was unfortunately kind of a bust. Um, but New York was good. It was good to be back in New York to see people. Um, Reed pop did a really good job, uh, with their mask mandates and making sure people were, uh, behaving well and vaccinated nice um you know hopefully uh you know by the time we get to the middle of the year uh you know may june july when we get into the uh san diego time uh you know the the pandemic will be if not behind us at least to the point where i can be comfortable and other people can be comfortable being around crowds of other humans because i do miss it um i think we could have waited a little bit longer to bring things back, but I understand why everyone is sort of champing at the bit to, mm-hmm. to go back to, to conventions. Um, but yeah, I, I miss it. And, uh, you know, looking forward to a, a day when we can get back to that and I can, I can give my friends big bear hugs from, from out of nowhere without feeling like I'm possibly spreading a deadly disease. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, I feel that I, I, I'm planning on going to the planet con in, in April here in KC and, um, trying to get trying to press I'm trying to get a press pass but even if not like, I, I still haven't been to a con like uh, when I was really into comics I was a bouncer and I was working at a bar and so like weekends was tip money and that's when like I, I, it was very hard to get a weekend off in, in the bar industry and so you know when 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 planet came like I, I didn't really get to go and uh, and then you know I this all started happening with Blake's buzz and then and then COVID happened, and then it's like, well, like, um, I still don't like, they came last year, but it, not many people went, and I, I wasn't ready to, like, go out. I'm vaxxed and everything, but, like, I, I made the joke that I was like, like, yeah, like, but I'm not trying to, like, test out how good these shots are, right? right. Like, I'm not trying to play that game. But I, 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 I feel like things are starting to get a little better. Uh, and, and I, again, I'm kind of going to play it by ear, too, because if, like, 
you know, I mean, if, if it, like, cause uh, Tenyon's coming and, and a few other big guests, so like, uh, uh, JR, JR is coming, like, and, uh, so that'd be kind of cool. Um, and, you know, I'm sure I'd have to wait in line forever to, to shake his hand and get a signature, but you know, like it, there's like some big guests coming and I, I'd really like to go and, and, you know, like do little videos and stuff for the blog and stuff and just kind of see what, it's, cause I've seen, I, I mean, I was like, I know what it's about, but I've never really been to one. So I'm yeah, really, excited. I've actually, I've never been to planet comic con. It's on my, my bucket list. Um, probably not this year, but I'm going to try and hit uh, planet comic con in 2023. Nice. Yeah. I, I, uh, I talked to uh, Steve Orlando a couple weeks ago and he, he like told stories of like, jason aaron like taking everybody out for barbecue and stuff and, and he was and uh, and steve was like steve was like i just want covid to go away so i come to kansas city and eat, eat meat he's like <laughs> we, we, don't, we don't have that and so yeah, i thought that was cool and but yeah it's uh so i'm i'm, I'm pretty excited about it and and uh i don't know it, it just like comics are so much different now for me uh like i never thought this would happen i never thought that i would uh i didn't even know i didn't know i was very good at interviews till i started doing this i never thought i would be on press lists i never thought people would send me review copies before comic books were out you know i, I never i never thought i i could uh dm a, a writer i like right and be like hey you want to like come on my show and then have you guys be like yeah and like i just never thought like we'd be here and so like it's so cool and and so it'd be neat to like take that into like society and go outside and like experience that like with other people and not just like through a webcam and a, and a yeah i mean you know i mean this is you are so optimistic uh and you don't you don't come out and complain about what's wrong with the industry and you're so optimistic and you're so supportive of creators and i can't speak for everyone but anyone who disagrees with me is an idiot and just want to say thank you for what you do um you know and it's really it's really cool to see that you're you know you're growing your network and you're you know you're getting this opportunity with band of bards so like so thank you and welcome <laughs> that's all man that's I, I would say i'm gonna like hang that on the refrigerator like that's <laughs> i'm hanging that on, i'm hanging that on the refrigerator it, i i appreciate it i just love it it's it's uh it's, it's crazy and it it, it all started because of because of covid like it, it started i used to be on this pod i started podcasting on this deal called the end and that's where it started and, I, and for a long time people tried to get me to podcast and i said no because i talk on the phone all day for work and i was like fuck you man when i don't want to talk anymore when i get off work and now that's i do that several times a week i get off work and then i do these interviews and it's, it's good to realize how wrong you are sometimes in the right circumstances Cause it's just, it's cool. And, and I, as I, you know, I was in grad school and, and for creative writing and they would bring in these writers to like communicate to guest lectures and stuff. And I've gotten to talk to more creatives and more writers and learn more about storytelling and making my own podcast than I did in the astronomical fees that I paid to go to grad school that I'll be paying on forever, which I, and I'm not saying I didn't learn anything. I learned a ton about storytelling. But like getting to talk to you all and seeing like where inspiration comes from and talking about tension building and scene layouts and just, just the, the little crumbs that I get from like talking to all you geniuses. Like it, it's awesome. It's so cool. Like I'm glad people listen to me, but I, 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 I'm just, I just love getting to talk to writers and artists, seeing how you guys tick. It's, it's very intriguing. Well, I'm excited for you and I'm hoping, I'm hoping that there's going to be a time in the future where in much the same way, I will talk about editing anthologies in the past tense. 
that you can do the same thing with podcasting and you can, you'll be on somebody's podcast talking about your latest book and you'll say, yeah, I used to do these podcasts. <laughs> now I'm too busy writing comics to, to do podcasts. So. I, I would not be mad about that. I, I, I mean, I would miss I, I, uh, the same thing like with you and the anthologies. Like, part of me would miss it, but like, uh, yeah, I'd be fine with that. I, I heard that's like, that's how the, uh, the good comic book reviewers, like uh, David Popose told me that. Like, he started as a, he was a comic book reviewer. And then like, he's like, hey, I'll try writing a comic. And now he's a fucking rock star. And like, I was writing for Marvel. Like it's like, so it's just, it's, um, and uh, one of my friends keeps reminding me of like all these, like the, the mid Midwest, Kansas and Missouri, like a lot of comic talent came, came out of, came out of here. So maybe, yeah. maybe I can, maybe I can squeeze in, squeeze into that, uh, dance, that dance line. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm from Ohio where, you know, you've got Bendis and Brian K. Vaughn and Brian Azzarello are all Cleveland guys. I mean, hell, Sh Siegel and Schuster, right? Uh, yeah. So uh, I get it. And Kansas City's got a, is a huge well of talent. So. Yeah, it's, it, I mean, it's, it's you know, we, we're, we're, we have more than barbecue. I mean, we have great barbecue, but there's also like, it, it's, people often don't realize in, in Kansas City, because we're like this little blue speck in like the red Bible belt, right? And it's like, we're, we're actually a very liberal city and like, uh, you know, we we so we celebrate the arts, and there was actually some oh, some publication a couple of years ago talked about like you know when that idea of like having to move to L.A. or New York to be a writer. Like there's uh, there's these little kind of golden nuggets sprinkled throughout the country that are much cheaper to live in, where you can still network and and do do well. And, and Kansas City popped up on one of those lists. I thought that was pretty cool. Yeah, I know absolutely. Um, with the internet, that is less true than it used to be. I think that. I think there are still advantages of to being a New Yorker or a, a Californian and 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 breaking in, but it's it's not a barrier to entry like it used to be, yeah. for sure. Um, if it was ever, I really can't afford to live out there. <laughs> um, yeah, I think still the uh, cheapest. I think we're, I think the Midwest is still like the, it's the cheapest place in the country. I think Utah is pretty cheap. I heard. Yeah, Utah. Uh, the 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 northern stretch of like the the Dakotas and and Montana are are cheapish, as long as you're okay with like living in the the flat parts of of the Dakotas and not the pretty hilly parts. <laughs> um, so but. so real quick, um, I kind of wanted to bring up uh, your last your last Kickstarter campaign just to see yeah so where, where we were at on on the Manticore. Yeah, that's a that's a fair question, and this is, I think, a good place for us to we'll we'll end on this because uh, you know, uh, it is uh, it is a book that we are proceeding on. Uh, it's uh, the delays are mostly good news. Um, we're not seeing uh, delays due to paper shortages or supply chain issues. Uh, the big delay right now is that uh, uh, my colorist or the colorist DJ uh, has gotten quite a lot of uh, D DJ Chavez is working on uh, a book for Aftershock and uh, a book called Lunar Room at Vault with Danny yeah. Lore. Um, so uh, he's still working through Manticore, but the, the professional deadlines of those two uh, monthly series have kind of forced him to, to, to mediate his work a little bit. So things are working and we should be all wrapped up in the next week or so with colors and oh, nice. then uh you know at least have the digital out by the end of february and then printing uh, the printed version shortly after that and now it's you this is gonna be like a new trilogy right 
it is a it's a standalone story uh i really wanted to do something in the european style so it's uh you know it's a 48 page oversized hardcover a little graphic novella uh it opens up kind of a a larger story that we can tell uh, but if, if, if we only go for the first one, uh, that'll be okay. I actually, in my head, hopefully that it's a uh, septology at seven parts, but that might be a little bit ambitious in the, that might've just been like the, the, the crit, you know, just being locked away for a year and a half from COVID. <laughs> no, I mean, it, be ambitious. You're a really great writer. And, and I, I mean, I can't, I can't speak for every, everyone, but like, I mean, if, if I see you, I love Kickstarter anyway, but like, if I see, if I see you on a Kickstarter project, I'm going to back it. And if I see your name on a new book, I'm going to, I'm going to buy it. So, I mean, yeah. and I think, I think you're building up a, a solid following both now in the direct market and, and with Kickstarter with crowdfunding well, i really merge the worlds i have some other projects i want to do on kickstarter but there's a lot of lessons learned that came out of manticore in terms of uh, i thought we would have been farther along on the project before the kickstarter launched and then mm -hmm. again after the kickstarter ended but you know the best laid plans etc cetera, etc cetera. <laughs> and uh, uh so you know there's some lesson learned uh, lessons learned about uh just kind of uh my expectations and expectations that I can convey out to the backers. So uh, the next campaign hopefully will be, uh, you know, smooth as butter. And uh, uh, yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's proceeding though. It's, it's going to happen soon. Yeah. I'm, I'm excited. I, I, uh, the, the, di even a digital, digital by the end of February, early March. Like, I mean, that's, that's rad. That's cool. Cause I, I just really, I dug, I dug the premise, uh, and, and especially like uh, seeing how you've handled, you know, fantasy aspects uh, in, in Blacksmith has me really excited for me. Yeah, yeah. Like, with... you you have like a cool like I don't know, man, you're like in the zone, like you're in a, you're in a good zone. I feel like, and yeah. you know you know how to twist these genres in your favor. Yeah, hopefully. Uh... Yeah, I, I am excited about the book. It turned out beautifully. Uh, all, you know, Chris Peterson is all done with his line art. We're just uh, we're just moving forward with colors right now, and then uh, it'll be lettered shortly thereafter, and and in people's hands hopefully by the end of the month. Very so, cool. Well, uh, yeah, and then I guess I should uh, you know one last final uh, surprise is that I'm also going to be doing a five issue mini series. With a with a publisher that I haven't worked with before called Black Box. Yeah. Oh, they have like cool, creepy, weird stuff. Yeah. Uh, so that should be uh, that should be out by the end of the year. Very exciting. I can't uh, tell you what it's what it's about, but <laughs> I was given the green light to let people know that I'm working on a, a book, uh, uh, another supernaturally tinged action book. Um, so that sh what, it should appeal what, to people. Which you're great at. That's so that's good. <laughs> that's exciting. Yeah, uh, yeah, very pleased. Uh, artists I've never worked with before. Uh, new publisher, uh, just different way of working, but it, it it's it's going to be a really cool book. So, what's, uh, uh, you know. what's what's like real quick, like as someone who's experienced like the indie publisher that, that working for indie publishers that give you a lot of a lot of play and and, and kind of like you know let you make most of your own choices as opposed to like. Kickstarter where like everything, you know, like no one's stopping you, no holds barred, like, but also Kickstarter comes with that extra work mentality and, and, and you're having to do every, like literally everything on your own, basically. Like what, what, what do you prefer? Like you, you mentioned like you have plans for other Kickstarter stuff, but 
you also are lucky out now with new publishers and, and being able to release stuff in the, I guess, traditional, even though Kickstarter sure. is pretty traditional now. But like, what, what, where, do you, where are you most comfortable at these days? Um, I like... I like the certainty of working with publishers. Uh, Kickstarter is great because it does let you experiment with format and, um, and, and, and genre a little bit more so than, you know, without having to wait for a green light and to, you know, uh, but I like the certainty that a book's gonna come out monthly. It's gonna be able to put it in people's hands. There's gonna be a trade. Um, there's just so much, I'm a writer. I'm good at telling stories. I don't know that I'm the best, I'm the most organized person in the world. So if I can write a script and let someone else handle the logistics of <laughs> finding an artist and, and uh, you know, you know, making sure that it, it gets from, you know, my script to the comic book store shelves, th it makes my life a little easier. I gotcha, that's cool. Um, well, okay, so we started this uh, with a mentioning that this was going to release a Sunday, which happens to be Super Bowl Sunday. So, um, who who's your pick on the, for this for this American of American Sundays? This this uh, iconic bit of culture where we watch sweaty men beat the shit out of each other on the field, and and one emerges the champion of all. So I am a I am super stoked about this Super Bowl and I have a reason for it. It's that I don't hate either team. Uh and I have as a fan a connection to both teams. So what I'm really rooting for is a good game. Yeah. I'm from Ohio, right? I I spent the first 40 years of my life in Ohio. Uh so Cincinnati winning would be great. In fact, the first Super Bowl I remember watching was uh, uh, Bengals 49ers where uh, Montana came back and won his first his first ring. Oh wow! Uh, but I grew up in Toledo, Ohio, which is about 40 minutes south of Detroit. So I'm a Detroit Lions fan. If you ask me what my team is, and as a Detroit Lions fan, I'd really like to see Stafford get a ring. Yeah. So either way, I win. It's win win for me, right? Um, so I'm just hoping for good football. Yeah. I hope I it's not. I Hope it's not like last year, which was just a dud. Yeah, same. Because I feel like I feel like we need a good game because the commercials just aren't as good as they used to be. Right. Well, I don't, and they, I don't know they, what they, the deal is. They keep uh, they keep uh, spoiling the commercials with these commercials for the commercials. <laughs> they do. Holy sh I never realized that. It's like it's like when uh, when Grant Morrison killed Damian Wayne and the, the, they did like the newspaper article announcing it for the comic book came out right. they're like dc kills robin it was like what they, that, i didn't really man they do they spoil the commercials with, with yeah. everything there's just spoilers everywhere you can't you can't escape from it it's like yeah, you gotta I mean, get I have, 6 a.m to watch something or, or i'm four episodes behind on i'm four episodes behind on book of boba fett and i already know what happens so <laughs> uh it's still it, uh seeing it though even with a spoiler like that finale was one of the most epic like spaghetti western shootouts ever, but in Star Wars, like it was crazy. Um, Eric, this was really awesome. Yeah, this and has I been a lot so of fun. Appreciate you coming on my show and and talking. Uh, I I appreciate uh, you know like being being my Twitter friend and and you know the chats we've had online and and just you know uh, the kind words you said about uh, me and and Blake's buzz and. Uh, and you're wearing one of my freaking shirts, which is crazy. Uh, never, uh, that's one I never thought I would like see people like wearing my shirts. Like I, 
uh, my it's like it started my family bottom and then like all these other internet people started like taking pictures anyway that was nuts uh that, that was so cool and i just i appreciate you as a storyteller i am excited for like the your future projects uh the uh the uh, atlantis one shot this this new black box series um you know uh the, the more blacksmith i'm so stoked that they're they're giving you more issues because it you deserve it. That your whole team, you guys slayed every panel. And listeners, like I encourage you, like hopefully, uh, you know, it, it'll be, it should be out in the next week or two weeks, maybe. It um, should be out in February. Volume one of Blacksmith. It's it's so incredibly worth your money. Ahoy is such a great publisher, full of great people. Eric is one of them, and I just appreciate you coming on, taking taking a, uh, an hour and 40 minutes out of your time. Now, being the polite podcast host that I am, uh, this is where I ask, where's the best place to find you online? Where where do we follow you, keep track of you, uh, and see what you got coming out? Where's the best place to find well, you? Well, first of all, likewise, thank you for having me. It's, it's great to finally do this. Hopefully I can come back when I have that black box announcement and uh, when uh, we find out where that, uh, that Atlantis one shot's going to land. Uh, in the meantime, people can keep up uh, on Twitter. I'm very active on Twitter at Eric Palicki and uh, also uh, getting more active on Instagram also at Eric Palicki. And then I have a website, ericpalicki.com. I have a web store um, that I probably need to update. So. <laughs> but, and he ships well. I bought from his web store. I, I can attest. You can, you can get his stuff. You can get um, seriously like – Listeners, buy Eric's stuff. You can go to his store. You can get the – he's still got Kickstarter editions of Atlantis Wasn't Built for Tourists, or you can get the Scout edition. Uh, either way, uh, it's it's a book well worth reading. Uh, no Angel is super solid. Uh, it's from Black Mask, and that's that's uh, spooky and religious and, and creepy. Uh, Blacksmith from Ahoy, was, as, as you've heard me uh, rant about this evening, is so great. This guy writes badass comics, and we just like I, we need to keep buying his stuff so that he keeps making them. That's that's will, the goal here. I don't know if I could stop making it at the at this point, but thank you very much, Blake. Um, uh, I look forward to talking to you again soon, dude. Yes, any any time you want to come back on the show, like I, I will have you, even if you don't have anything in the pipe. Like if you just want to like come hang out and nerd out, yeah, I'm down. yeah we can we can shoot the sh- shoot the shit. Sounds good. Shit, 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 shoot, 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 be had ladies and gentlemen eric palicki you are a cool dude i appreciate you uh i i i hope i hope a couple people buy your books after listening to this uh and i'm definitely i got the trade pre-ordered for blacksmith uh, like i've had it pre-ordered because i i don't buy as many singles anymore uh, but i do like getting the trades and this is one that is very very shelf worthy and and i hope other people think that too and i'm excited for volume oh, i'm so excited for volume two actually so yeah, should be out should be out this week. Fingers crossed. <laughs>